Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. All right, folks, welcome back to the latest Mountain Westwire Football preview extravaganza podcast. We are over halfway for our team previews, Matt. Jim. Yeah, uh, as of this recording, yeah. we're recording on July 11th. We are now with, officially within 50 days of college football season. It's gonna get it's it's here. It seems like it's it's hitting us really quick, right? I didn't realize the 50 days and like camp starts what the first week of August for most teams. I think yeah, a couple weeks essentially. Yeah, you got the week zero games, which include a couple of Mountain West teams, so. Lots to do between now and then. There's plenty to do. Yeah, top 50 lists we need to work on. Uh, all Mountain West teams. We have media day coming up. Some preview type stuff and maybe some fun and nonsense if we get to it. But today, no nonsense. We're going straight to Air Force, the Falcons. No, definitely no nonsense since we're talking about Troy Calhoun's Falcons. Oh, geez. Hey, whatever. That's true, but I, I don't care. It, it's whatever. You're correct on that. He wants to get straight after it. And it's the Air Force Academy, right? You gotta be your 18 credit hours, biomechanical engineering. It's difficult to play at Air Force. So. Yeah, I mean, that was really, that was one of really, really one of the enduring images from last year, wasn't it? It was the, the, the schedule of, of Nolan Loppenberg's daily routine on CBS Sports. They show that every week, especially non conference games. <laughs> it's hardcore. Like, I, I, I. It is. I, it was not that long ago I was in school myself. You know, I went to graduate school, and even yeah. I'm like, okay, I, I, I could not do that. So, yeah. no kidding. It's what 18 credit hours. What are they up at 6 a.m. Lights out at 10:30 mm-hmm. or something like that? And like something maybe, like that, yeah. Well, and that, that 35 minute lunch and maybe 45 minutes of nighttime. That's non-study time. It's not for me. Not for everybody, right? No, definitely not. And you know, and that was. In, you know, that, that of course is like their normal routine, but as we've talked about again and again, and kind of looking back at 2020 with all of these team previews, maybe nobody had a weirder season than Air Force when you really take a step back and look at it because, 
you know, that like a lot of other places around the country, you know, the, the academy wasn't immune to COVID. You know, there was a, an extended outbreak. I can't remember exactly when it was last year. Everything kind of blurs together looking back mm-hmm. at it all. But, you know, by the time the Mountain West decided to post, you know, cancel the season and then rework it and things like that, you know, then you ended up with a schedule in which, you know, the Falcons ended up playing Navy three weeks before anybody else played. Uh, they stomped the middies, which I'm sure, you know, pretty much every Falcons fan listening to this is, was delighted by. And then after that, you know, it, it, the season didn't necessarily work out the way they wanted to in terms of wins and losses. You know, they ended up three and three overall. But then you have to remember they took 40 turnbacks, which, you yeah. know, if, if you weren't intimately familiar with the situation, it just means that, you know, 40 Air Force cadets opted out of playing the season. And um, in school, essentially, I believe, too, if I'm correct. Yeah, yeah. so essentially they weren't involved, and that included a number of stars from, from both sides of a team that had gone 11-2 and two and was a top 25 team the year ago. Um, and despite that, they still did a lot of things right. You know, they were still the number one rushing offense in the country. You know, by a lot of advanced measures, you know, they were maybe the most dominant rushing offense, period. Um, maybe possessing the best offensive line anywhere, just all around, passing, you know, pass protection and run blocking. Um, the defense was surprisingly stingy, you know, despite, you know, missing, I think, I think most of the significant turnbacks came on that side of the ball. And so, you know, when you saw their starting lineups from week to week, you were like, okay, well, who are these guys? I know, no kidding. <laughs> Uh, so, you know, even though they finished three and three, you know, you, you, you put the season into context and, you know, perfect example, rushing offense. They were still a full yard better than any other team in the conference. You know, 5.88 yards per carry. When you talk about the Falcons, like that's, that's priority number one for them. Like we know that's what they're going to do every year. We opponents know that that's what they're going to do. They dare them to stop it. And, you know, most of the time they couldn't in 2020. And despite all the defensive pieces missing, they were still fifth overall in terms of total defense by yards per play. And to kind of top it all off, one of my favorite statistics in, in kind of researching for this particular podcast is, you know, if, if anybody out there is familiar with Brian Fremo, you know, you know, he's got a number of advanced metrics. And so one of the things that he tracks every year is points per drive, you know, which is sometimes a little bit better marker of, of overall efficiency than, you know, scoring offense, let's say. And so you have to go through the, so of the top 42 teams by net points per drive, so just teams that were scoring more often per drive than they were allowing points on defense, Air Force is the only team in the top 42 that did not finish with a winning record. And and we haven't talked about San Jose State yet, but they were neck and neck with San Jose State for the best nets point, net points per drive figure in the Mountain West. So it's sort of telling, like you, know, despite all of the obstacles that they had to go through last year, you know the you know the record is sort of deceptive. Like they were not that far away from being that you know that much more of a force. Like they probably should have won the Army game, to be honest. You know, yeah. a couple a couple plays go differently, and that game takes on a much different tenor. Ten you know, to seven, they, for those who don't remember. Ten to and, seven, and they were maybe the only team in the conference, you know, other than you know the 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 uh, Arizona Bowl aberration to really give San Jose State a run for their money 
on route to the conference championship. So all of that to say, you know, they come into this season and, you know, by, by SP plus, for example, they're projected to be 93rd. You know, we talk a lot about, you know, the returning production that's coming up elsewhere in the conference. And I believe that Air Force is, is last in the conference as far as the amount of talent they have coming back. But you still kind of have to be an idiot to count them out, right? Yeah, of course. They're never, they had, you never need to count them out because of how unique their offense is, how disciplined they are. Troy Calhoun has turned down NFL jobs, high level college jobs at State Air Force Academy. Like, I believe he turned down Tennessee. Colorado University looked at him, obviously. He was, I think the Texans and Broncos looked at him for a particular job within the NFL because he was, mm-hmm. uh, wasn't he the OC at Buffalo, the Buffalo Bills before he came to Air Force, I believe? Something like that? Yeah. So, like, he's been around, like, he's no dummy, but the reason they win is because the type of system works. It's why you always see in the preseason Navy, Army, Air Force, or even – Georgia South, any team that runs this type of run option, trip option attack always gives uh, some team trouble or maybe even upset them just because of what they do. Mm-hmm. But Air Force is typically Navy's gotten better than the past decade. So Army's the past, what, three to five years. But Air Force has been arguably the best service academy in like 20 plus years, right? Like consistently. Mm-hmm. They, have, they have a couple of down years, like five wins. 2013, two, right? Yeah, 2013, two wins. Five wins a couple years ago. But more often than not, they'll have a handful of not great years, but Fisher DeBerry did very well. Trey Calhoun's been there forever. It's just the system they run and the type of people they bring in because, it's like you said at the beginning, it takes a certain person to want to go to the academy to not only play football, but then also do what they want to do, get some degree that's beyond challenging for 90% of the people, it seems like. Mm-hmm. And case in point for everything I just said a minute ago, and this is, I think it makes for a useful pivot to talking about quarterback in particular, because I think considering the circumstances, considering that nobody expected him to be in the position that he ended up in, because Zeke Daniels had a pretty good year, right? Yeah. For, I mean, yeah, cause, yeah, cause you're, I mean, you're talking about a guy who, you know, he averaged almost five and a half yards per carry on the ground. You know, he was this, he was, in terms of, you know, attempts, you know, he, I believe, had, you know, the only person on the team that had more was Brad Roberts, who we'll talk more about in a little bit. But, you know, he, he shouldered a pretty substantial burden, you know, running, you know, nine, ten carries per game. And he completed 55% of his passes. Like, he, it, like the passing game wasn't as explosive as it had been the year before. But, you know, considering he was replacing, you know, someone who should have gotten a lot more run as a serious offensive player of the year candidate, you know, he still averaged eight yards per attempt. You know, three touchdowns against three interceptions isn't great. But, you know, those those 50-50 shots weren't necessarily, you know, they, they didn't regress past the mean, I guess what I'm well, saying. Well, there's a Jalen Robinette to catch the ball 29 yards per catch. Yeah. <laughs> and so, so I think – there's definitely room for him to grow. And I, you know, there's, there's some rumblings that there might be something of a competition or maybe it's just the fact that, you know, we, we talk about this every year on the preview, you know, considering the kind of unique workload that service Academy quarterbacks tend to handle, you know, it's always better to have a, a very established plan B. So, you know, maybe they give Warren Bryan a lot more run with the ones and, and fall camp and things like that, just to make sure that he's ready to step up if they need him. 
And I think we saw enough of him last year where, you know, when he got to operate the offense, he looked pretty solid. You know, he was three of six through the air and he averaged five yards to carry himself. But I think it seems safe to say, like, if, if, like, if the decision were up to me, I would say that Daniels has a pretty secure spot on the QB1 job. And I think that they're gonna, they're, they're gonna be comfortable with letting him kind of grow into the job. Again, we talk about this every week these days, but just having a normal offseason and, and being able to kind of implement the entire offense on a, in a timely fashion, I think is going to do world for a guy, worlds for a guy like Daniels. Well, it totally will. But like you mentioned, depth is good because how many years have we gone through where they play two or three quarterbacks? Exactly. So that's where they need somebody else to come in. And I don't think it's a full-on competition, but they'll get some reps. They they kind of switch guys a little bit, not too often. It's they're not like it's it's kind of rare they do it, but they'll occasionally toss another QB here or there. But that's what they need because when they've had the past four or five years, it's, there's injuries here, injuries there. For you take a beat, you run this offense, and you do a fullback dive or not not necessarily the dive, I should say, apologies. But like if you do just running to the outside of the option, you're gonna get hit with or without the ball. It's like it's not you're not yeah. getting tackled just because you have the ball. It's like you do a fake pitch or you pitch it, and there's a guy, a linebacker, or a defensive end or lineman who's sole job is to stop you and get you no matter what, and you hold the ball until the very, very last second when everybody converges on you, then you toss it, you do a shovel, some sort of, you get rid of the ball in some fashion, you're getting knocked down probably almost as much as your running back started, you have half the carries. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you got to have somebody else there. And and when you look at his split stats, like there's there's no real glaring areas for improvement you know, like obviously when they were trailing in the fourth quarter, like he, his, his numbers in the fourth weren't necessarily as good as they were when, when the Falcons were able to dictate the terms of the game. But, you know, he was two of four in the red zone. He didn't make any glaring mistakes there. You know, when they needed him to kind of lock things down when they were winning, he was able to do that. I think if there's one area that I'm looking for him to improve going into this season, it's just generating a few more of those big plays. And so I'm not talking about like, you know, a, like a lot of big plays. But, you know, he only threw the ball 54 times last year. They only played five games, so just to kind of put that in perspective. And he had six plays of 20 yards. And so for those of you doing the math, that's about 11%, you know, 11.1%. And to, so to put that into context, you know, that's, that's better than someone like, for instance, Boise State's Hank Bachmeyer. You know, he, I believe, only had, it was like eight, eight and a half percent or something like that. However, it was also half of what Hammond managed in 2019. And that's not to say that I'm trying to set the benchmark that high. But I think if they can find something of a happy medium between, you know, what he was able to accomplish last year and what Hammond was able to do the year before that, that's going to be one of those subtle things where, like I said, that's, it'll, when it shows up on the stat sheet, it's probably like one 40 yard catch that someone in that receiving core is getting that they didn't get last year. Because I think that's an element of that uh, Falcons offense that was sort of missing in action from time to time. And it was the kind of thing, like like I mentioned the Army game earlier, that's the kind of thing where if, if they had had one of those plays, that might have made a world of difference for them. Well, it should, right? You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> um, so let's stick with... Keep figuring your quick QB. So, well, you mentioned the throwing stuff a little bit. Mm-hmm. That we can always say this team's this what the team basically does good at is 
clearly run the ball, right? And then yeah. find somebody deep down the field. Last year they had tight end who did did well for that. With the what people had to play like Kazik Daniels, do you? There's going to be somebody we don't know sometimes, which is kind of fun about the Air Force offense. We mm-hmm. we know what they're going to do, but it's like who's going to be the guy to do this or do that? You know what I mean? So look at who they have, like throwing the ball down the field. Do they? They don't need like I mentioned, Jalen Robin up and passing. They don't need a guy who gets like twenty. I don't remember what he had. What was he? Twenty five yards a catch? Something ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, if you if you want to go back to 2019 for a more recent example, you look at a guy like Gerard Sanders. Yeah, you know, in, in in 2018 he averaged something like 17 yards a catch, and and two years ago he was something like 24 yards a catch or something ridiculous like that. Like he and he and Ben Waters were going off pretty much every single week. I don't know. Like they have Kyle Patterson who did pretty well last year. They're not gonna like. Ben Peters had three catches for like 100 yards. You're not going to get that just because mm-hmm. it's three catches. I'm just wondering, like, we'll get receivers, but they, Pat, Patterson might be, because the tight end is an interesting unit for them who he's going to throw to, because he's going to be back this year, clearly. One of the better tight ends. You know, there's quite a few in the Mountain West. I'm wondering if they combine him with another receiving threat down the field. Like, this could make the offense, especially the quarterback, with what Zeke Daniels can do, because obviously Peterson's gone. He's a senior. But, I see, I'm wondering how the tight end, like, they've never really had a tight end. Like, last year they had just a tight end and nobody Yeah, it's sort of interesting, right? Like, when's the last time the Falcons had a really good tight end? Because, yeah, I don't, I don't, I guess. Which which um, is not to say that they've never had tight ends. Like, they did put Garrett Griffin into the NFL, after all. Yes. It's just, we're we're not accustomed to seeing a tight end be, you know, emerge as sort of like a potential primary weapon in this offense and attack down the seams. You know, rather than, you know, with post routes or along, you know, outside the hash marks and stuff like that. Because you have Brandon Lewis, who's a small, fast, like 5'9", 175, who'd be mm-hmm. back. It's five nine catches last year, five the year before. So, what, like, what, like, how the, could he change the offense with his big game? Is like, they could have a tight end screen. They, cause they don't throw to the running backs, rarely, if ever. They give a tight end roll to the side screen, or, like, to the middle of the field. You could have actual multiple levels, which could, if you have the right receiver, for him to throw to, it could suck in the defense because already defense already sucked in as it is because mm-hmm. when the safety takes a step in, the quarterback takes a step in. Like I'm not going to grudge you this time; it's going to be a running play. But if you had now have a guy in the middle of the field, the linebackers not suck him in. That's the wrong word, but they'll have to pay more attention to what they normally do. It's like okay, there's a tight end here. I can't just follow the quarterback or follow the fullback or follow the running back. I have to actually see where this tight end goes and maybe and cover him more often than not. Mm-hmm. And if if you have a tight end who can attract attention, even on a running, because we see when they, what the offense does when you're the quarterback, who they could run, the run pass option, they do that quite well. He could go off, pull off to the side, go right along line scrimmage, pitch if you want to, or stop and throw it downfield. If you have a guy who's not just only deep down the field, but you have a tight end in the middle of the field, that could lead to a okay, I'm going to guard the tight end. I'm going to I'm going to run instead. Oh, I'm not going to guard him because you're going to run it. He'll be wide open middle of the field, and something different can happen. I'm very curious how they can do, but they need another receiver to be that. So that's why I think because Daniels could have a bigger year passing the ball if there's a receiver that steps up. Yeah, and I mean, I think that element that you're speaking to is identifying, like, you know, the big downfield target, like the Robinette-type player. Which, you know, Sanders, you know, when he was in his prime a couple of years ago, like he wasn't necessarily that kind of physical presence, but he, he filled that role very capably. 
and they didn't really have that quite as consistently outside of Patterson. I definitely agree with you. And so I, I look for like the big physical targets and I, and I identify two potential guys that I'm, that I'm really interested to see if, if one of them can step up. One is Jake Spiewak, who's, you know, he's 6'4", 200 pounds. The other, who I feel like we talked about a little bit last year, we've all, we've been kind of waiting for him to arrive, is David Cormier. You know, 6'3", 215, I think. You know, those are a couple of big dudes right there where, like, if if one of those guys can step up and be that outside threat that was sort of missing last year, that changes the entire dynamic of the offense. Totally could. So let's – um. It's it's going to be fun to watch the offense. We're all kind of bouncing around a little bit here and there, but it's I want to see this happen because when we do our mountain predictions of the division, it's kind of Boise, Wyoming, probably Air Force, not to give mm-hmm. anything away, but that's kind of how most people are seeing the playoff because Utah State, new coach, new quarterback, a lot of this stuff. New Mexico, still not quite there at CSU. Great defense, I think, but I don't think they'll be able to crack above top three. So it'll be – Basically, see, can they compete with one? Can they beat the West Division teams they're playing against? Yeah. But let's go to the running backs because it's always, hey, let's run the ball. Rare Force, right? We already kind of go through right. it all a bit. But like you meant, the, the points per possession, all that type of stuff, points per play or yards per play, all those fun stats. They have – there'll be a guy who we don't know of. That's how it always is. So that guy will always have the TBD, the mystery running back or fullback. But Brad Roberts is going to be the main guy. He's probably be an all-conference contender. He should despite, be, yeah. Should be, but the freaking Charles Williams, George Saudi, Greg Bell, Calvin Turner. Yeah, yeah. Maybe Still some Roddy Rivers. Back. Who would I miss? Anybody else I miss out there? There's a million yeah, running backs. That's a pretty good start. That's, yeah, so, but what they do, like, Athlon has Ronnie Rivers, or excuse me, Brad Roberts, I'm staring at Rivers here, third team all-conference with Toa Tala, mm-hmm. and like Bobby Cole to Mexico. So there's a lot of good talent the backfield with Air Force. He's going to put up numbers, but we know how Air Force does it too. There's going to be like a kind of, we kind of joke the mystery guy. There's going to be a second or third back. Daniels mm-hmm. will take running, take running yards. Red Roberts will take running yards. Like even last year, like Brandon Lewis, wide receiver had 180 rushing yards. Mm-hmm. Like they have fullbacks out there too. And it's, it's always a strength. So it's not like we don't know what's going to happen. It's like, can it be like Timothy Jackson, the fullback? Is he going to, get enough fullback dies to get over six yards a carry. The past two years, five yards, five, two, and six, one per carry. So he's a, a threat there to run up the middle and get just bulldoze people over. Well, and, and give Mike Beeson credit because, like, obviously Roberts was the guy who, who blew up. You know, he led the team in attempts, you know, led the team in rushing yards, yeah, averaged over seven yards a carry. So, like, he was very clearly, you know, a, a fit in that backfield. And he was sort of emblematic of that thing where, you know, when when Air Force is running the fullback dive and, and opponents know that it's coming and they can't stop it, like there are a few things in college football that are more aesthetically pleasing than that. Exactly. But beyond that, you know, we especially in team, in games where where Air Force kind of ran away with their victories. I was and I'm thinking particularly of like you know the New Mexico and, and Utah State wins that they had. You saw you saw glimpses of them trying to incorporate other guys, and I think that's credit to Mike Thiessen, the offensive coordinator. Where yeah. you know Roberts was obviously the name, but like when there was opportunity to give other guys a little bit of run, no pun intended, you know they they found ways to do that. And so you know the guys that got maybe handfuls of carries in garbage time last year, you know you start with a guy like Elijah Robinson, 
who, you know, he could fill in at, um, you know, at fullback potentially. And because I think that, I think the, the, uh, the movie is that Roberts is going to move to tailback. Am I, am I mistaken about that? I think Robert, yeah, well, they got Tim Jackson fullback, so Roberts would be running back. Yeah. I believe that's the case. I wasn't sure whether Jackson was healthy at this point or not. Um, it's a good question. Maybe I should look into that a bit more, but. But, you know, guess, but like, like Robinson is one example. You know, Jordan Guidry, who's a, who was a freshman last year. Like, when's the last time you saw a freshman running back get any kind of playing time? You know, he, he, he could be in the mix. Yeah, he could be in the mix at tailback. CJ McNeil only had five carries, but he managed 54 rushing yards on those five carries. You know, he could be in the mix. So they've, they've got guys who could step up. And so, you know, the, you know, if, if Jackson's status is up in the air, and I apologize that I don't know this definitively one way or the other, um, you know, the fact that they're also having to replace Caden Remsburg at tailback as well, you know, as well as one of their fullbacks, Matthew Merla, it doesn't necessarily seem as daunting when you really look at what they were able to, to kind of do to, 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 to shore up the inexperience last year. We may not know the names, or casual fans rather, may not necessarily know the names of everybody in the Air Force backfield. Yeah. But I think they're in good hands. Yeah, it, they'll be fine. Whether Tim Jackson tells you to play or whatever, all those guys, it's, it's gonna be fine. The mm-hmm. one issue, I guess, with the offensive line, look at all the guys they lost, like Nolan Offenberg, the other guys aren't gonna be back. Cause that might be the bigger, bigger That's the rub. Yeah. I'm definitely with you on that. Because, because, and again, to put this in context, you're talking about an offensive line, Number one in the country last year by line yards per carry. You know, number four by opportunity rate. So like they got their running backs to the second level. You know, they were seventeenth in power success rate, number one nationally in stuff rate, and it wasn't even close. Um and oh by the way, they were also tenth nationally in sack rate allowed too. So like even even though Daniels had sort of an uneven year overall, like that you can they, they kept him on his feet. I guess I'm saying, you know, 3.3% overall. But all five of those guys are gone. So, like, you know, Parker Ferguson and Loppenberg are the big names, but, like, Adam Zool's gone, (laughs) Kyle Kreps is gone. And so, you know, everybody who's slated to step in, you know, obviously they've been integrated into the offensive system over time. They've probably been parts of scout teams and things like that. But it doesn't erase the fact that, like, no team in the country is coming into 2021 with fewer career offensive starts. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Listen to the deal. Listen to the deal on Spotify. It's gonna be a problem. Maybe it, it, problem. maybe I, I have. It would be a problem for any other team besides a team like Air Force, <laughs> because you know, like I said, we may not necessarily know these guys. You know, and, we and don't know. The, we literally don't know these guys. <laughs> you know, the projected starting lineup, and just to kind of put it out there, you know, Jason Medeiros. At center, you know, he saw playing time in most of the games last year. He played in four games. You know, Isaac Cochran and Aiden McCullough at guards. You know, Cochran saw a significant amount of playing time in 2019. Yeah, I think he was one of the guys who took a turn back last year. McCullough is a sophomore. He, I think, was also one of the turn back guys. 
you know, Ryan Booth has seen, you know, sparing playing time. You know, he's set to be at right tackle. And I think maybe if there's one crucial guy, it's, you know, Everett Smalley, who's, I believe, set to take over at left tackle for, uh, for Ferguson. And so, yeah, we don't know these guys. I have a feeling we're getting, to, we're going to get to, to identify with them very quickly. Mm-hmm. But Smalley in particular is in sort of an interesting spot because, you know, not only is he replacing an all-American caliber type of offensive lineman, but he's also a sophomore. And so, you know, if there's some some kind of ups and downs as he's kind of learning and, and growing into the job, you know, that may not necessarily bode well for their chances in 2021. But I don't think that necessarily means that they're doomed for the long term, too. But it's it's a line that I think overall definitely skews very young. So yeah. it'll be interesting to see how they coalesce and grow together. It's like it matters more less to them than other schools because while the offense, like I mean, people know what to expect, like mm-hmm. the running running play. The offense is more of a time. It's a it's really a timing type offense because yeah, if you go up the fullback dive, you're gonna block. How you're gonna block? Center's gonna go left or right? Right? Like if it's off to the right side, left side, you're gonna block differently. If it's a an option play to the right. A, a true run option play, not a pass indicator in their pass possibility. They're going to go to the right, block who's in front of them. They know where they kind of know when the ball is going to be released. Mm. It's, it's based on timings, based on repetition. They're not too often. They a little bit here. They might pull the guard occasionally, or pull the center. It's pretty tricky, but it's all based on the same thing over and over and over. But with a little wrinkle, a small wrinkle here or there, typically not done by the offensive lineman because it'll be. Because I like I mentioned a guy I work with who used to be in the NFL. He's like the plays are really simple. It's just a formation you got to look at to know what to do. Because that's what makes it seem difficult. But you can run one play out of nine formations and it looks like nine different plays to the defense. Yeah. So the offensive linemen are still going to do the exact same thing. But you may have a receiver going motion. You may have an H back in motion. You may have the full somebody going motion. You might be in shock. It might be under center. You could be pistol. You could have two receivers on one side, zero receivers. You could have. Basically, the goal line jumbo set, but it could be exact same play, and you're blocking basically the exact same way. Mm-hmm. So, and that's with this offense. It's not. It's other offenses we see out there. You think, oh, it's always the same, but not necessarily. They know it's run. You're smash the guy over every time. Mm-hmm. It's just, am I going to run to the right or run to the left or pick up a certain different linebacker or defense lineman? It's. I'm, I'm not trying to oversimplify it, but it's not super complex. It's complex for. But the quarterback has to think. The fullback to be ready to make it look like he has the ball. The running, the two running backs to decide or be ready if they're going to get a pitch or a shovel. That takes a lot of more work and know-how, like kind of nimbleness, I should say, to play that that part of the offense. Yeah, and I, I, would, I guess I would say to kind of sum it up is, you know, Air Force is probably not going to be the number one offense rushing offense in the country again. They probably aren't going to be like the offensive, the best offensive line in the country. No. The big question for them is how successful are they going to be in fighting regression to the mean? Like, are they still like because I think there's a big difference for them this year in being average versus being above average. And I think if they can be above average, then they're, they're going to pretty easily be a thorn in someone's side and maybe ruin someone's season down the line. Well, when's the last time I'm looking? I should look at now. I should have done before. When's the last time they didn't blow average in the conference? Like I'm, I'm guessing just just at a guess, I'm gonna guess. I'm gonna guess 2013 because they they had a hard no, reset that year. 2013, they're fourth in yards per play in the conference. Oh, well, there you go. 
So like, well, then, I, then I don't know. When were, they ever, when were they ever a pass-first offense? Maybe we got to go back to, like, the 70s or something like that. I, I have no idea. 2014, they're eighth in yards per play. Like, it's not very often. Like, even when they're not good, or record-wise, they're still a pretty good team running the ball because that's what they do. They're, but you're right. Them being as dominant as last year in yards per play, like, they'll have the conference. They touchdown, yards per play, obviously yards, 305 yards per game. Attempts, clearly. It's or actually not even ten. Tenths is not great to say because they played a few games, but even with six games, like Nevada, which they throw a lot, nine games still ran, ran fewer than sixty play running plays mm-hmm. through the Air Force. So, but I let's let's just say they're third. That's reasonable, I say. I don't think they're gonna be bottom half. They'll probably be closer to like four point seven yards per play than five point eight. Mm-hmm. But four point seven would still put them top three in the conference. Yeah, I mean, I guess I should clarify to say, like, average to me is, like, if they slip to being, like, a top, I don't know, a top 40 rushing offense versus, like, a I, top 25 rushing offense versus, like, a top 10. That's fair. Or I used to say like average, like, middle of the pack. That's what I'm looking at. But, I'm, but even then, like, my sliding scale might be a little bit off just because they run so often and so efficiently. Like, yeah. I, might need, I might need to narrow the bars a little bit, if that makes sense. Yeah, like looking at them, like you're, like even the past couple of years, like they're twentieth. Let's just look at twenty thirteen again. When for nationally, I bet they're still top forty. They were thirtieth in the country twenty thirteen in yards per play. There you go. So that doesn't mean, indicate they mean they'd be good or not. But you're right. Like if they're a top ten, they're probably going to be winning eight to ten games. Mm-hmm. But once they get to twenty below, thirty below in that range, that's usually win well. It's kind of a We'll see. Maybe the passing game is great that year, or it's a bad year because they're just not very good. <laughs> but did you know, really quick, I'm just randomly clicking on yours. In 2016, would you like to know what Mountain West team led the nation in yards per play? Rushing? In you want to take a guess? Wasn't it San Diego State? No. They were top ten, but not number one. Was it Air Force? No. Was it Wyoming? No. <laughs> Let me give you a hint. There were three teams that tied for the best record in the Mountain Division that year. Was it New Mexico? Yes, it was New Mexico. That's, okay, I had to I had to think I had to dig deep for that one. <laughs> I just had to click on the globe and yards per per game as well, three hundred fifty. So they had more rushing yards than Army, Air Force, and Navy, who were two, three, and four. <laughs> All right, uh, do we need to go deep in the receivers, or did we cover those enough during our? Passing? I think we did. I think we did. Okay, well, let's just say this: there'll be some receiver we never heard of, and. You could say, I told you, there's this one guy who we never heard, now, heard see, of. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that, though, because we've seen well, these guys in actions before. There'll be I a think, guy. There'll be a guy. We'll see. I, I'm not saying there'll be a guy who comes out and goes for 30, 30 catches and 600 yards. You say, say there that, but there's, there's definitely going to be a guy that does <laughs> no, that. No, no, no. I mean a brand new guy. Like a guy oh, okay. All right. There could be a guy who could go for, like, 10 for I get what you're saying. 200. That's what I mean. Like, some guy who has, like, that one big game. He has like 100 yards in one game, four for 100, but then goes off like 15 for 200 for the year or something. Mm-hmm. I'm getting at so. All right, so defense. This is where it gets tricky because wasn't there, if I recall, our buddy Sean, you should check all his Air Force position previews. How he's going through the whole every unit. I think he's done or possibly done. So just got an Air Force section. They look at their turnbacks monster. They have what seven defensive backs. Every almost every key defensive starter didn't play last year. Mm-hmm. And, and now just, that just, back, to, just to run this down real quick, okay. so we're talking about guys like you know Milton Bug, third cornerback, Demonte Meeks, and Lakota Wells at linebacker, 
and Jordan Jackson, as well as as well as a number of other guys. Those are the key three to five, three to four guys that were there. Yeah. So Meeks is back again. Jordan Jackson, like even like guys like Jonathan Youngblood, crazy. He'll have a big role this year. So and and, and it's and I think when you look back at last year, like that that is definitely one of the things you have to contextualize because. A, like a lot of the numbers don't make a lot of sense when you really dig deep. So like, for instance, I mentioned earlier that they were still above average in terms of yards per play allowed, right? They were also like, I believe number one in the mountain West in scoring defense and number three overall by giving up just 15 points a game. Yeah. There are six in total defense, just 303 yards per game. But also a lot of that has to do with who they played against. It's fair. Or you could make that argument that it, that's sort of skewed because, you know, they did play, you know, New Mexico and Utah State and Army and a really lousy Navy team. Yeah, they also have um, Music State to 17 points. That's true. That's true. And so, yeah, and so, like, you, you sort of contextualize it. And, like, you know, the yards per play figure paints one picture, but a lot of those other metrics that I mentioned a minute ago for the offense being, like, top tier was very decidedly not for the defense last year. So, like, you know, line yards allowed per carry, they were 107th on the defensive side of the ball. You know, they were below average, you know, 72nd overall in opportunity rate. They were right around average in power success rate. And their sack rate as a team was only 99th overall. So, like, their sack rate, you know, put together was only 4.8%. So then you remember, okay, they've got all these guys coming back. So they were able to do all of that and yeah. they're getting their biggest playmaker back in 2021. So this could be like a 2019 defense, which is also really good? It could be, yeah. That's where I think this team could be better than people think. Oh, yeah. Because we talk about experience like with the certain teams where, oh, it, if you're bad, it, we'll wait and see. And last year you played so few games. Like the CSU offense, they only played a handful of games. This team only played six games. Is how much is the experience really going to help you when you don't play a lot? Mm-hmm. I think with the defense, it'll help a ton because some guys who started last year are not going to start this year. But they played every game, and it's not that. And it also was a good defense. Like you meant for the most part, like you can nitpick here and there, like oh they're great here and not great here. But overall, cumulatively, they were still pretty good overall. Yeah. Sort of thing. Like if you're giving up top six, top ten in the country in yards allowed per game. Doesn't matter because here's the thing too. When they play Navy, they're going to get yards on it. Air Army's going to get yards on it, even though it was a ten to seven game. Like Boise State put up almost fifty points on them. So yeah, and and the upside of it too is like yeah, we mentioned that the, the the names that we already knew going into last year didn't end up playing, and it provided opportunities basically across the board for other guys to step up and contribute. And a lot of those guys are coming back for this fall. And so you're, you're getting, I think, the best of both worlds. So, like, case in point, you know, we're going to start up front with the defensive line. I think, you know, Christopher Herrera is maybe the, one of the better examples of that, where, like, he, you know, sort of played, I think he played sparingly a couple of years ago. Don't quote me on that. Mm-hmm. But, you know, he stepped up and he was sort of, you know, he had a, a really big responsibility of replacing a lot of the interior time linemen like Mosesa Fafita. But you know, he had a couple sacks last year. He had twenty total tackles and he you know, he was he was a contributor. Like he was a piece that they can line up opposite Jackson and they'll probably be just fine. Or, you know, at linebacker where, you know, Brandon Goodings you know 
he played pretty sparingly last year, but he played pretty well. Or, you know, Jonathan Youngblood or Alec Mock, you know, both of those guys could step up and see more time at outside linebacker. So they're a lot deeper, too, than it would seem at first glance. Because, like, obviously I think the expectation that, like, you know, Wills and, and Meeks are going to come back in and they're going to be at, on the outside and the inside, respectively. But, you know, guys like Youngblood and Mock, or, or a guy like, you know, Tim McClendon, who also saw some playing time last year, I believe, you know, those guys give them a pretty formidable two deep in a way that, you know, if those guys had played last year, we wouldn't be talking about them now. Sure. And, and, and the situation would be much different. So, like, they're a lot, they're a lot more talented, I think, across the board than they would have been under more normal circumstances coming into this fall. Yeah, it's going to be, that's where, like you said, the, and we're, about, we're not really focused on units here at the moment, but they are a defense, it's kind of bears repeating, like these guys played enough last year, they're still good in certain aspects. You know, all these guys back who are really good. I don't know where I'm going to put the defense overall, but secondary is going to be really good. Like I mentioned, Milton Bugs back last year. They have guys like uh, Corvin Taylor, Ethan Erickson. Like, they will be above average, and maybe we're underselling them. Like, we're talking talk about, I could ask, and we could ask, like, oh, who's the Dark Horse team? I kind of mentioned Fresno State because the West is kind of up, kind of crazy, really, because of how it could be. Thinking about more and more, maybe Air Force could be that team. Because mm-hmm. the defense comes out and builds upon last year, let's just say their raw numbers are exactly the same. That defense would still put them as a very, very good defense overall. Like, even mm-hmm. if they're giving up three or three yards to 15 points per game and stuff like that, that would be for a full season. That would make them with a the better defense in the conference going with the offense. That should be, even with the offensive line that lost everybody, should still be a top four in the conference. Top, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. This could be the making of a team that, holy crap, why don't we look at Air Force when we dig deeper? It's like when we were talking to CSU preview, you mentioned, okay, that defense is amazing. Like, oh, maybe you're onto something. I wasn't taking them all that seriously because I was focused on stupid Todd Centennial and Steve Adazio, what he wants to do on offense and not use his playmakers. So maybe Air Force, Air Force looking more likely could be maybe that dark horse team. With, if everything, assuming it's also, it, it also should be noted, it's not 100% guaranteed all these turn back guys coming back would be just as good in 2019 as they are in 2021. Mm-hmm. However, I would lean more to them being fine than being worse as well. Yeah, and, and it's not to say that, you know, the Falcons defense isn't without its own questions, too. I think, you know, if you look up front with the defensive line, for instance, Jackson and Herrera probably make them set on the outside. But, you know, one of the things they're going to have to do is they're they're going to have to find a nose guard. And physically, they may not find someone like Fafita again. And so, you know, who's going to step up, for instance, between someone like Kalawaya Piscaya or, or Elijah Brockman? Or is it going to be more of like a committee where they don't necessarily rely on one guy to, to fill that, that gap? Uh, you know, at linebacker, for instance, is, you know, we know that, you know, Wills and Meeks are probably set at two of the positions. We mentioned Youngblood and, and Mock potentially be stepping up as starters. But, like, for instance, someone like T.D. Blackman, who I believe also took a turn back last year. You know, I think the expectation was that he was going to step up into a starting role a year ago. But is he still going to be in a position to do that again? You know, because I think if he plays up to, you know, the excitement that he kind of generated internally, you know, that could, you know, between him and, him and Meeks, that makes for a pretty good inside linebacker tandem. And then, 
you know, who are, who are they going to line up outside with Wills? Because I think that is still sort of open. Like they need that kind of extra pass rushing weapon. And I don't know that they've necessarily identified that as of yet. So that'll be, I, I would imagine, one of the more pressing questions that they'll, that they'll push to resolve in fall camp. Yeah, that's probably one of the big areas. The secondary is fine. We mentioned defense line. That's probably, that is their probably glaring, not weakness, but glaring position to fill on defense overall. Because, yeah, that's the one spot where, okay, we got the, we know what these guys have, but they don't know what they have right there at the moment. Mm-hmm. And I don't recall even what they, because they have the JV team. I don't know what they did last year. They even played too. So that's also something to, which is different for the Falcons compared to everybody else where they could set up another team to play a, a couple games a year. I'm pretty sure they didn't do that last season. So it's like even less experience for like those freshmen that usually don't play for a year or two. Yeah. And, and Bug and, and Taylor on the back end definitely give them a couple of solid pieces. Like even, even if they, I mean, they might be dark horse all conference contenders. Maybe they're like a second team potential type of guy, you know, I think the the competition for, like, who's the best cornerback in the conference this year is sort of wide open, and I think you would do a disservice to the Falcons and the Bug in particular if you didn't put him in there, because he was quietly yeah. pretty good a couple of years ago. You know, he was, a, it was, a, I believe, a third-team selection by Phil Steele, at least. Um, you know, he had three interceptions. He had seven pass breakups two years ago. So, like, that kind of production is going to be really good for them to have back. But again, you know, one of the other questions is, okay, well, Bug has set up one of those cornerback positions. Who's going to fill the other one? Is it going to be, you know, someone like Zion Kelly, who saw a little bit of playing time? You know, is it going to be David Urie, who is in that same kind of position? Or is it going to be a guy like James Jones, who's been around the program for a few years? You know, is he finally going to be able to, to stick in the starting lineup? Or are they going to go with a rotation? We don't know how that's going to play out. Probably rotation for at least to start. I'm guessing. We'll see how that plays out, though. But I think all in all, they're in a really good position to 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 take to to take a step forward as a as a unit. I yeah, I think you're right. Compared to yeah, because again, those guys coming back, they're really good, and they're not going to just fall for because just because they didn't play one year. Yeah, yeah. Long story short. John Radzinski, the, the defensive coordinator for the Falcons, might be the happiest person in the Mountain West going into this fall. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, finally, I got everything to work with again. No kidding. <laughs> All right, so what do we got? Anything else on defense, or, or do we need to move on to like special teams type stuff? I think we can move on to special teams real quick. All right, so what do, what do we have for special teams? Do you have uh, kicking? So it was sort of uneven. Returning the ball. <laughs> because, you know, Tevye Schulpet's role had a, had a really good debut. And then sort of struggled after that. Yeah, I think he, only, he was he only every every PAT was made. Come on, that's true. And and he did he did show that he's got a little bit of a leg. You know, he was he, was, yeah. he had had a long of forty eight, but he was only five of nine. And so I would imagine that the expectation is that he'll improve at least a little bit. Um, and then of course they lost Charlie Scott to the transfer portal. He, and then oddly enough, he went and won national championship at Bama. Um, <laughs> so that was good for him, I guess. <laughs> Um, but you know the, the the punting game was sort of eh. last year. Justin Carlson was okay. You know, he was sort of underwhelming. He averaged under forty yards per punt, but he's gone. And the 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 competition I would imagine is probably wide open between Bryce Honaker and Charles Bynum. You know, the, the, the I, th- I would imagine that the winner will probably do at least a little better than Carlson was able to do. And the return game was 
sort of non-existent for them last year. They didn't really do much returning. Like Ben Peterson, for instance, only had one punt return. Yeah, the one return, yeah. Only had one kick return, too, which I don't think I've ever heard of before. Maybe that's a, maybe that's like the new rules kicking in. Possibly, yeah, because you can do the fair catch, the fair catch inside, like inside the twenty-five, and still get it at the twenty-five or something. The weird rules like like that. So it's like it's it's it is odd they still have so few compared to everybody else. So I was looking like, is that really right? One return, I kept looking like, "Mm, I guess so. (laughs) So I would imagine you know overall like they may not have the flashiest special teams unit, but I think there's there's room for them to improve at least a little bit in, in every facet of the game. Okay. All right, is it schedule time? Let's do it. All right, schedule. Do you want an FCS minute to start the show off with Lafayette? Do you have any thoughts on that? <laughs> well, do we want to do that, or do we just want to encourage people to read Sean's article about Lafayette? Oh, yeah. let's do that, yeah. So like I said, Sean, we're doing preview stuff. Check out the Air Force tat, sec, category on our page. So if you go to our page, um, obviously mwr.com, drop down of uh, – I'm pulling right out just so I have it correctly. There's a teams drop down. Just click Air Force, and everything he's written the past few months will be there. Every position preview, I think he's gotten them all done. All these non-conference previews. But it's a team from the Patriot League. That's like a 98% percentile. They should beat them. And yeah. I mean, I can supplement that by kind of giving the Cliff Notes version. Like, they only yeah. played three games. They did go 2-1. Yeah. and one. So it's not, a, it's not a bad FCS team. They did, have, they did have 15 players on the all-Patriot League team last year, the two-deep. That's good. Pretty much every single one of those guys is coming back. But if you want a more detail, I would definitely go and encourage you to read Sean's stuff. Yeah, anything you think we've missed or glossed, or hey, I want to know more about this team, go do that. Like he's had receivers previews, tight ends, um, all sorts of stuff. You can do Army, Army Air Force first look, Florida, Florida Atlantic, all sorts of stuff like that. So we'll we will still go through these. We won't leave you high and dry in these previews and stuff we're going through. But if you want more info, particularly Lafayette, go check out that. Yeah. So their schedule is quite interesting and not easy because they got Navy week two. And with Navy, it's, you know, it is, it's last year they were not a good team. No, they were messy. Like, I, I, I remember week one, like, they the BYU-Navy games, like, Monday Night Football, yeah, yeah. He was like, we haven't even tackled all week. What's going on? They get crushed by BYU. They lose to Navy. They lose to 40-7, to the freaking Air Force. Like, I remember, like, where's the tackle? They're not tackled. They're running into each other. They don't know what they're doing. They can't tackle because of COVID. Mm-hmm. It, last year's more of an anomaly for how bad they were. But this series is always very important for the Commanders in Chief, Commander in Chief Award. And this is, um, shoot, this is, it's at Air Force. It's also the anniversary of 9 11, so they'll be playing that afternoon game. Is this mm-hmm. a CBS game, or is it a, um, what was the television lineup for this one? Because I know there's three regular CBS games. Or is it I, the Air Force? I it's do Air Force game that in Texas. Off my head. Okay, that won't go. I, I I know now it's not because Air Force versus Army in Arlington is on CBS. So I'm like mm-hmm. love the name local kick. But what what do we know about Navy? It's a mirror image of Air Force essentially. They sort of want to maybe throw a touch more sometimes, but not really. They had actually last year they threw more. Than I thought. Did you know they almost threw for a thousand yards last year? Mm-hmm. I did not realize that. So. When I say touch some more, I should mean like maybe twice as much more than the Air Force. So yeah, and, and I mean a lot of that had to do, I believe, with injuries at the quarterback losing, position, and, and losing too, <laughs> being down so bad. And I think the the incumbent guy Xavier Arline at quarterback was 
if I remember, I think Bill Steele mentioned he was the youngest ever quarterback to start a game at Navy. Was he a freshman last year then? He Probably was a 18, freshman last year. 18-18, yeah. 5'9", Small guy. Also, Air Navy's sack rate was not very good. They got sacked a million times last year. 23 sacks. Mm-hmm. They, they, from out they threw, they can't even complete 50% of their passes. Yeah, case in case you point. I mentioned earlier Air Force was number one in line yards per carry and, and like number one in sack rate. Uh, Navy, Navy was 114th in line yards per carry and 126th in sack rate. So they basically could not do anything right on offense last year. Yeah, they, like, Nelson Smith is pretty good at fullback, but he's gone and he was above average. Yeah, they're missing, our line is the only one of their top five rushers coming back for this year. So there's a lot for them to figure out in their, in their triple option game. And this is week two? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think if you're if you're looking for a saving grace for the middies, and, and maybe Falcons fans are shaking their heads so they're listening to say that. What are you doing? What's the point? The defense, I think, is a lot more seasoned after last year's trial by fire because they do still have a, a pretty good potential all-conference linebacker in Diego Fago. Um, you know, he was first team in a couple of years ago. He was second team last year. So, I mean, he, he provides them at least an anchor in the middle of their defense, and I believe their top eight tacklers from last year are all back. So, you know, all of the havoc they were able to create, such as it is, um, you know, you can imagine that they'll be a little better prepared this time around. Like, you know, maybe they'll be able to tackle a little bit here and there. Yeah, I, I think you're right. Like, this, the defense will be good, but... It's not going to be enough to stop Air Force. Cause to yeah, play. I think there's enough questions about the about the Navy offense that I, I have my doubts that they're going to be able to keep up with Air Force. So I have that one as a Falcons win. Yeah, that's the only problem. It might be a lower scoring game. Like maybe not the 10-7 Army game, but I could see maybe like 17-7 or something like that. Mm-hmm. Where Air, Air Navy does enough to slow them down. All right. Today, host Utah State in their first conference game of the year early. And we've talked about Utah State before, so you go listen to that podcast. But... What Utah State does, we'll see what they do with guys like um, Logan Bonner throwing the ball. This might test that secondary a little bit because I think mm-hmm. that's what the Anderson wants to do a little bit because running game, unless Devonta Henry Cole is going to be amazing, which he could be better with the full off season and not transferring like a week before the first game or whatever it was last year after stopping at BYU for half or Utah for half a second, wherever he went to. Yeah, BYU then Utah State made the track kept going down the I fifteen, but. Utah State, we mentioned more than Matt, one of the most inter- interesting teams out there. I we saw it happen last year; it wasn't close. I think it might, and I think that might be the same scenario we're looking at this year. Utah State, I think, still, I think it'll be closer. I mean, I think Utah State's going to be much improved on both sides of the ball. Yep. I just think Defense, you know, I think that Air Force's capacity. Back. Yeah, I mean, I think Air Force's capacity to keep the ball away from them and play a little bit of defense. I, I think it's going to be close, and, and I think historically in recent years this game has always been pretty close. But I, I had this one penciled down as, a, as an Air Force win. So if you listen to our Utah State podcast, which if you haven't, you should know that enemy at least. Um, <laughs> you know, you already knew that. Yeah, and, and Utah State was just weird last year. Fired coach Jason Shelley issues quarterback. He got kicked off the team. Wasn't kicked off the team. Just not playing. Um, it's going to be more stable, but I still think Air Force, Utah State has a lot of stuff to work on. Mm-hmm. And I don't think they'll be good. Defense, you're right, with Von Chabon there. You have Justin Rice in town. of all these other guys. 
as Shaq Bond's back again. Defense will keep him in it, but it'll still be offense still TBD. That's my mm-hmm. pretense state. Um, all right, what's the next game we got here? Florida Atlantic. Florida Atlantic. The rare opportunity to talk about a Conference USA team. <laughs> that doesn't happen too often. Not um, really, no. No, no, that's Marshall. They didn't schedule this year. Boise State played the past couple of years. That's about it. They are not. UTEP. We got UTEP. Yeah, we got Florida. UTEP. <laughs> and Florida Atlantic. That is all. Um, so Florida Atlantic, again, check out our British Sean did a preview. They they come to Colorado Springs. They were 5-4 and four last year, 4-2 in USA. They have Willie Taggart, second year, formerly, what, South Florida. Was he in Oregon, too, for a hot second? I forget. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was. And he got fired quickly? <laughs> or he just yeah, I think so. <laughs> I forget what happened to him, but um, they started pretty good last year. They were 5-1. and one. So, but then they slowly faded away. So they have 12 guys in the preseason all-conference team. So they're going to, or I guess the not, sorry, not first team, but it's all freaking teams do what they want. 12 of our guys are in preseason all-conference. Includes teams one through honorable mention, which is not mm-hmm. bad, but it's like, come on, guys, what are you doing? Well, um, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, no, I was going to mention, they don't, Lane Kiffin's not there anymore, and they, he brought them some success to be able to bring in another named coachable attacker to hopefully, which they did last year pretty good, to kind of keep their success going in Boca Raton. Yeah, I mean, they they definitely fell flat at the end of the year. Mm-hmm. But, you know, they come into 2021 as one of the most experienced teams anywhere in the country. Like, you know, I know that we've talked exhaustively about returning production in a lot of these podcasts to the state. And it's and it's come up a couple times with, like, the, you know, Mount, some Mountain West opponents as well. Florida Atlantic is in that conversation. They're number five in terms of returning production. They're bringing back 93% as a team. I think one of the big questions that they'll have to face is, you know, their passing game was definitely underwhelming last year. They had a hard time replacing Chris Robeson, but they brought in a transfer from Miami and Kosi Perry, who I would presume is going to be the new starter. So, like, if he can hit the ground running, you know, they've also got a, a potential new starting running back transferring from South Florida and Johnny Ford. You know, they've got at least their Penn top State receiver. As well, yeah, John Benmore coming in. Yeah, they've got their top three pass catchers coming back as well from last year, mm-hmm. and I think they're returning eleven starters. If I'm looking at this correctly, like I think right. the, there's like Phil, I'm looking at Phil Steele's magazine, and um, there's exactly one person among everybody listed <laughs> as having at least five tackles that is not coming back for 2021. So that gives you a sense of, of where Florida Atlantic is at as far as the amount of talent they have coming back. Yeah, they have a couple all-conference guys from last year returning. I think the way this game's going to play, it's going to be an interesting game because they come to the Colorado Springs, they got altitude, long travel. Their defense will be pretty good. The offense is what's shaky because just because, who knows, maybe like Ford coming up will be great at running back. Maybe Dunmore will be a top receiver for this team. I'm going with Air Force because the travel and playing altitude and offense, they don't. Florida Atlantic doesn't play very much. Like, oh, great, they're top guys at secondary back. Well, I don't care. Air Force isn't going to throw the ball. Who cares, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it's not that kind of negates your um, benefit or your advantage edge if your secondary is really, really good against Air Force. Like, well, fine, whatever. They'll throw the ball four times instead of seven times. <laughs> you know what I mean? The mm-hmm. opportunities to make plays in that secondary are going to be minimal. So those guys are going to need to try to be better in other ways. But yeah, I, just, I think I, Air Force gets. I think they can get it done. I mean, I worry that, like, because the Owls have such a 
stacked defense coming back in particular that the Falcons might run into some trouble. Like, you know, because, the, you know, Florida Atlantic isn't a team that may not be littered with all conference performers, but if they're solid across the board, like, that's still something that they can lean on. Totally. And so I think, you know, given sort of the, some of the uncertainty about Air Force's own offensive line, I'm sort of hesitant to, to give them that much benefit of the doubt. Like, I think they've earned at least a little bit, but I think, you know, sort of like the, I, I guess I see it as sort of the flip side of the Utah State game. I think they'll win a close one against the Aggies, but I think they'll lose a close one to the Owls. I think it'll be close. Yeah, I do think that the offensive-defense line battle will be probably the most important. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, my main thing, again, like the travel, I, I, I think that's a big deal for how far they're going and what they're playing and who they're playing and the scheme they're playing against. I don't expect it to be like a big win, but I think it'll be, I won't be shocked if the Owls win. I think it'll be a close, like Sean put it there, 27-20. Mm-hmm. I could see some kind of lowish scoring game like that where if you get to 30, you're going to win, but it really could be 25 points might be what you need. Yeah. But I didn't beat Florida winning and then New Mexico, 5-0. and I have the Air Force Falcons starting 5-0, and Matt. I do. I do have them going four and one. Yeah. Are they going to be? If they're five and zero, are they going to be ranked? I don't think so. Uh, should they be ranked at five and zero? Probably not. Oh, no. Unless there's a lot of weirdness in non-conference play. Looking at what I have here, looking at my full-on schedule, like the breakdown, they would be the best. They'd be the best record in Mountain West so far at five and zero. So if you're saying that, that probably means there's going to be zero Mountain West teams ranked after week five. I mean, I guess it depends on how things shake out. Well, clearly, but I'm just <laughs> based on my record-wise. Okay, so here's where the schedule gets interesting. We can kind of um, group this together. Wyoming at home, at Boise State, San Diego State, and then go to Texas to play Army. We talked about that four-game stretch. Who was it last time for Fresno? Like the most difficult one? Mm-hmm. Like, this is up there, too, one of the more toughest stretches in the whole conference. Yeah, I mean, you could even you could even throw another couple of games in there, too, because after that, they have back-to-back road games at Colorado State and at Nevada. Yeah, the whole stretch could be different. That is it rough. Is it is, yeah, because CSU's defense is really good. Offense, we'll see, but it's also like a freaking week 11, so who knows what they have in store. But it's a rivalry game, it's a road game. But that stretch, like, I don't – when they play well, I mean – like you mentioned, the Florida Atlantic offense line, defensive line, this could be even more pronounced, even though we're midseason. Wyoming will probably not tear them apart, but they'll probably have their way with them. And Air Force's running game, probably they'll probably be their worst rushing game of the year. Mm-hmm. Who are they play? Wyoming, like, and we'll see what the. De- I guess the only way it could keep it close is if that Air Force defense is what we think it could be. And again, midway season, Wyoming will be passing the ball as much. We that's what they're saying. Their new OC. But we know they have Xavier Van Valaday and Sean Chambers, who are amazing at what they do offensively. So mm-hmm. I don't think the winning because the defense will just kind of suffocate the Air Force running attack, and they won't be able to get enough done. Yeah, I mean, if you, I mean, we've already talked about Wyoming and Boise State, so we've already talked about Air Force in both of those games. Yeah. But I'm with you. Like I, I sort of see the potential for the Falcons to be limited on offense and having, you know, if they were in a position to play catch up. We just, I mean, we already know that's not necessarily the position they want to be in. So I have them dropping both of those games to the Cowboys and the Broncos. Me too, yeah. It's too much. And then San Diego State, I have them losing San Diego State as well. 
And I have been beating the Aztecs, but that's uh, I think that's because I'm maybe a touch more lukewarm on the Aztecs this year than you are. Yeah, I just don't like their quarterback situation because right now it's garbage. Now it's hot garbage. It's not good. We don't know. Yeah. It could change. The potential for Lucas Johnson is amazing if he's a starter, but TBD, obviously. And yeah, that this will come down to, as we all know, like you know what San Diego State does to run the ball, pass the ball well enough. Defense is gonna be really good. I just past couple years they're it's it's kind of it's hard to say, oh, they've been had injury issues the past couple years at running back. It's hard to predict that, but they've also had a slight trend of that being the case the past few years. Mm-hmm. Of not being fully healthy running the ball with their like Greg Bell was great the first half last year. The year before it was um oh shoot, who was the year before who barely played? He kept trying to play every other game. You're talking about Juwan uh, Washington? Yeah, Juwan Washington could barely play. Like his ankle or whatever it was is bugging him throughout the year. Which they gave him the they gave him the start gave him the gave him the carries but couldn't get it done and that's lame to say because injuries aren't like a trend really if you think about it, it's not like their play calling's been bad or position hasn't been good it's just that their depth hasn't been there and the injuries have been an issue with that and that's kind of leaning I don't want to say that's the reason why but I think what Air Force can do cannot last San Diego State mm-hmm. so Army in Texas. Is Army going to be good this year? I don't know. I mean, I I don't. I mean, Army went nine and three last year, but I never really believed in them at any point. Because, like, did you did you actually like go back and look at who they played? But a bunch of FCS. Teams. Remember, wasn't there people talking trash? Oh, they're so good. They'd be like five FCS teams or something. So, so I'm just going to run down their schedule real quickly. And I'm sure the Air Force fans will appreciate this for saying, like, God, thank you, right? <laughs> um, they beat Middle Tennessee, not a good team. Okay. No. They beat Louisiana Monroe, maybe the worst FBS team in the country. <laughs> they lost by two touchdowns to Cincinnati. And then, you know, you, you mentioned the, uh, the FCS teams. They beat two of them last year. Only two. So, okay. so, so good for them for beating Abilene Christian in the Citadel. Um, they, okay, so to their credit, they did beat UTSA, and UTSA was a pretty good Conference USA team. Oh, by the yeah. way, they also beat a third FCS team. There it is. <laughs> and Mercer. Um, they lost by 26 to Tulane on the road. Yeesh. They beat Georgia Southern, you know, pretty pretty solid Sunbelt team. Fine. They beat a terrible Navy team, and let's be real, they got lucky in winning that Air Force game. Ten to seven, yeah. Uh, wasn't there like coach, whoever the coach was talking smack about all this crap against the Air Force? Are you talking about Jeff, uh, Todd Munkin? Jeff Munkin. Munkin. Todd Munkin is the OC in Tampa, right? Whatever. Yeah, sure. But it was all the funny tweets. And then they, we beat them. It's like, come on, you freaking beat them after that. Um, you're going to beat Army convincingly. They're like the most. They're like the most. They were like the most unimpressive nine and three team I've ever seen. <laughs> ever, <laughs> ever. Um, and so, and so I'm, I'm, I'm almost certain that like Air Force fans had to feel like some measure of satisfaction that you know they, I mean, they almost got shut out of a bowl game last year. They lost to the and then, and then when they, and then when they did, did get invited, they lost that too. Yeah, but they almost won too. It's twenty four twenty one. Yeah, well, I mean, it's West Virginia, and West Virginia was also not very good last year. All right, did so, you ever, I mean, so, so, okay, hold on. <laughs> we should probably talk about this year's actual team, though. Like, <laughs> so they do have, like, 
all three of their potential quarterbacks coming back from last year. You know, Christian Anderson was banged up, so they turned to Jabari Laws for a little while. They turned to Tyhere Tyler for a little while. I have no idea which of those guys is going to be the starter. Not, is that a phrase you want to see? We have three potential starting quarterbacks back. That's like San Diego State this offseason. I mean, football. I guess you could say they have a plan B and a plan C if they need it. But, I mean, more, important, more importantly for the, for the Black Knights, you know, they've also got their top five rushers coming back from last year. Um, only two of which are quarterbacks, just to kind of make that clear. <laughs> <laughs> well, they're down one rusher because they're both not going to play like that, so it's only really four. And, you know, despite the fact that they're losing their leading tackler from last year, John Radigan, they're also returning the next six leading tacklers from a year ago as well. So it's not like Air Force, or not, excuse me, not like Army is necessarily starting from scratch. It's, you know, like, I just don't know how real they are. So, like, if I look at SP+, I see that they're ranked 72nd overall, and I think, why? And then I think, oh, yeah, well, they're also ranked 93rd by offensive SP+, and I think that's probably going to make the difference in this game. Yeah. Because, like, you know, they got lucky against a very strangely constructed Falcons team last year. And so I think they're going to eat a lot of crow, and I think the Falcons are going to be able to reclaim the Commander-in-Chief's trophy. I have them winning that game. I think Army will be better. The record, again, was kind of smoke and mirrors in who they played. They're going to be a better team, but I don't think they'll be good enough. Have you seen Have you seen their their, their schedule for this year? Um, no, let's see. What, what's, it's, what, what's, what's it's, not, it's not much better. I'll just leave it at that. We don't we don't necessarily want to turn this into an Army football podcast. Oh, all right, UConn. They do play Wisconsin and Wake Forest. Ugh, Bucknell, UMass. Oh, jeez. Yeah, UMass might as well be an FCS team at this point. Sorry. Yeah, they do play Ball State. That's good. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I mean, um, it's a, it's a little better, but not much better. Well, they got yeah, whatever, Wake Forest, who cares? All right, then the last game, UNLV victory, right? For yeah. Scrubs. So, wait, what did, what did you have for Colorado State at Nevada? Oh, we forgot a couple. Sorry, we skipped in. Um, my apologies. I thought we were, I thought that was the last game for some reason. Um, at CSU, we talked about that victory, even because I don't trust Colorado State offense yet. And so I think this could be like a lower-scoring game, but I still think the Rams, the Rams will not be able to have enough to get it done. Yeah, Nevada. I, have the Ram, I have the Rams winning that one, by the way. Boy, jeez. Yeah. We already know CSU is going to be that team we shall jump on because you're on them now having like 8-4 and four or something, whatever your record was. It was 6-6. Six and six. Right. Thank you. 6-6. Six six. Just messing with you. Um, I, I, this, the, like, Air Force, the way they play, there might be, like I mentioned, kind of a couple low-scoring or close-scoring games. Mm-hmm. There's no way in hell they're beating Nevada, so that's a loss. Sorry, if if you're offended by the Air Force fans, but it's not going to happen. Okay. Um, and then they're going to beat UNLV and finish for me eight and four overall, but losing four conference games. Yeah, I've got them seven and five and four and four, which probably puts them third in the Mountain Division. Mm-hmm. Is there any way because what we would talk about the defense, what the offense typically can do? Is, do you see a, where they can maybe get a few more victories? Oh yeah. Like, I, I can see them beating San Diego State, mm-hmm. but I don't know. The back-to-back Wyoming Boise, I don't even know if a split's possible there. That's really difficult. I mean, it's it's difficult because, and again, talent, there's talent everywhere in the conference this year. Mm-hmm. But there, it's not impossible. Okay. I, like, I, it, it, would, it would not surprise me if Air Force bounced back and won 10 games this year. Let's put it that way. 
So then we'll lose, what, two conference games and win the division? Yeah, that sounds about right. Or, <laughs> or at least, or at least get to a, like a really good bowl game. If they, you know, like, let, like, let's say, let's say they go 10 and 2 with their only two losses to Boise State and Nevada. So in that situation, I'm guessing it is not likely that they would win the Mountain Division. But they still finish 10 and 2. They go to a bowl game. They beat, you know, some, like the sixth best team out of the, out of the Big 12 or something like that. Would you be altogether surprised by that? Um, a little. I think 10 wins is sort of out of reach, but it's, but I'm not going to say no to it. Like, I'm not going to say it can't happen. I honestly think the mo- for me, I think nine wins is probably their ceiling for me. Yeah, I mean, I say seven and five. I do feel like I'm hedging a tiny bit. Like because, I'm, because I'm looking at the four conference losses in particular, and I'm like, and, and I'm thinking like, I, okay, I have them losing those four games, but I think the reality is is that they're probably going to ruin one of those four teams' seasons. Like they kind of always do to one team, right? Like they're, they're either going to knock off Boise State on the board, wait, wait, wait. Say, say that louder for Colorado, or, there. or they're or they're yeah. going to like, or they're going to like <laughs> knock Colorado State from like bowl from like bowl season or something. Or, or they're going to do the same thing. Like they're going to go on the road to Reno, and they're going to keep Nevada from winning the West Division, or so. Like I think it's something like that is going to happen. If I'm going to pick a team they're going to ruin the season for, it's probably Wyoming. It's just you know this team you can't count them out. No, you can't. And I like how you mentioned it was you that said they could beat Boise State because Colin gets mad at me every time I say it's a close game every time, or they can maybe beat them. <laughs> But we'll have to we'll have to play the I, games and see. We will. I just like to point that because that's a, a joke just for you and me and him, and nobody else knows what we're talking about. But I, we'll bring it up anyway. Yeah, eight and four. You say seven and five. They like they like. But seriously, I mentioned like for a dark horse team, they're more than anybody else. I think within the league. Like and earlier, I mentioned Fresno, but people know Fresno is going to be pretty good. The West is just going to be very difficult. Yeah, I think Eric, like a legit dark horse team went. To at least win the division, I think I'd put Air Force near the top. Mm-hmm. As typically, like you said, they do kind of screw some other team over, or they upset or spoil something. And let's say, for my example, they beat San Diego State, which is very possible. They're sitting at nine wins. Let's say it's like I said, Wyoming's at home. That's one most likely. That would be enough to maybe get them there. And so, but it still take a lot to get it done because Navy's not a guarantee. Neither is Army because what they all have coming back. And yeah, this this will be a Season Air Force fans will like it because last year three and three not very fun, but I think most Air Force fans would enjoy an eight and four season, right? Mm-hmm. So, anything else we need to add to the Falcons? Any tidbits or anything we need to get to? I think like, we're all set. All right, that's our Air Force re- preseason uh, preview. We are now halfway. We have what f- four, four teams left? Five teams left? Uh, I believe after this we have four. Four? We're getting there. Yeah. So yeah. We'll, we'll we did not do a poll this week. Apologies. That's mostly a. Uh, my fault because Matt's been doing it and I didn't jump on the poll this week. So we have four teams left. We have San Jose State. We have, let's see if I get these right. San Jose State, UNLV. Oh boy. Um, crap. Who else? There's more. <laughs> Hawaii. <laughs> Hawaii. I do. I was going to say Hawaii. Hawaii. What's the last one too? I'm and New Mexico. And New Mexico. Sorry. I'm like, crap. I only get two of them. I got to get at least three, right? But so no. I think to save, to save ourselves some convenience, I think, you know, this time next week, um, and I, I probably shouldn't just say that, but we'll we'll run one <laughs> final poll on Twitter.com, and I think we'll just we'll say you know first to last, you know that's the order that we'll do. 
<laughs> so like whichever, whichever team wins the poll, we'll do it that week, and then we'll just go down the line and we'll finish it out. We will totally do that. So check us out, MWR.com. Um, we'll have all sorts of top 50 countdown position stuff coming up, more previews, some randomness going on. So, yeah, let us know. Follow the show. Subscribe. Do what you do to let people know, like, hey, these guys sort of know what they're talking about. So go give them a listen and we'll have some fun. So we'll see you guys next time. And uh, everybody have a good week in football. Again, we are one more month until football starts, Matt. It starts in August. So we're getting Soon. one month. Soon.